Okay, so what people listening to this won't know is that we were already about 10 minutes into this conversation. Um, Susan and I are, are old friends now after working together several years. Yeah, we're like two old shoes. <laughs> Yeah, we were 10 minutes in and I suddenly realised I hadn't actually hit the record button, which is a little bit embarrassing. But um, but yeah, so I don't know, maybe you've missed all the good stuff already. If I'm not... I'm sure I can repeat it. <laughs> if not, we'll dive straight in. So, okay, let's play catch up. So Susan, tell everyone a little bit about what, what it is you do. Okay, I have an English Bone China business and I personalise that English Bone China. I have it all made in Stoke-on-Trent and it's made in a very small area called Longton, uh, which is on the um, uh, A50 side of Stoke, because Stoke's a, a, you know, a series of little towns and each town within uh, the Potteries was famous for making something and my little town Longton was famous for making bone china, English bone china and 200 years ago, sorry 50 years ago there were 200 china makers and I think now they say you know 50 years later you know there's hardly, there's just under 50 left um, but I think really I work with four or five of them and I, I really would have be hard pressed to think to name more than 10 china makers making traditional handmade english bone china so it's um it's a very um it's a very skilled area and and very highly skilled area but i'm one, i'm absolutely passionate about it we need to use it not lose it and you, what you do is very much about sort of personalised China as well, which is what makes you sort of quite unique. And it, I think it's it's not as easy as it once was to to find someone that would do those personalised items and the sort of the unique designs that you do as well. Well, that's correct because um, we do a lot of work with Port Marion. They're very good client clients, and I don't know. It, of those of you who know who Port Marion are, but they're very successful China maker in Stoke. But I think it's very interesting. They said to us, of course, well, you've stepped into that very niche market of personalised China, whereas one time you could have gone to Wedgwood and had a beautiful christening mug and asked them to personalise it, or Royal Dalton, or some of those household names, and those businesses have all gone, really, or as you know, they're just not quite in existence as, you know, our parents or grandparents would have remembered. And so there is a niche market, a very small market for personalised English bone china. And we've stepped into that, that little role. So, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting indeed. So you describe it as being um, a niche market and a small mm. market, but you've done some... I mean, you've you've done work internationally, haven't you? You you've worked with every now and then. You say, oh, yeah, we've just we've just done won this particular contract for for this organisation, and it, it's quite. I mean, you your China's in a few continents now, right? Well, it's it, yeah, we've got a very good client list. Shall I just put it like that? Because I can't some of my clients I can't actually talk about because I have to when I do work for them. 
I have to agree not to say anything. So we'll just move swiftly on. Yeah. But they're probably household names to most people. Um, but yeah, we've got a very good client list and we're just doing, uh, at the moment, we are just making, doing a dinner service for the Kenyan government, which is really exciting. And we started to do that before lockdown. And, you know, just bad luck, isn't it? We've just got the green light the week of lockdown. <laughs> so we're trying to sort that out now. Um, we make this lovely trophy for uh, the Maryland uh, uh, horse racing um, steeplechase, sorry, I couldn't think what I was trying to say then. So every year they have a very big, famous horse race in America called the Maryland Steeplechase. And we make that trophy for uh, the Maryland, it's called the Maryland Trophy. So that's very, very exciting. Um, we've, uh, we did some uh, wonderful trophies and prizes for um, some very nice uh, yachting trophies, sailing trophies for the Australians. Yeah, no, we, yeah, it travels across the world. Absolutely. Get out of British China. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the strength of the China, because you have a little gimmick, don't you? I do, you, I do, and I stand on it. it. I could do it now, but I don't know if people listen to this or watch it. But yeah, a good piece, a good test for a piece of English brain Chinese should be able to stand on it should be strong enough for you to stand on and you've had i mean so the the ranges that susan does she has like a range of um racing china and weddings and children's china um pencil drawings um, but one of the ranges are military china as well and i remember you doing um several photos over the years where you've been delivering some china for some of the military dinners etc and you've kind of got and that people in all their regalia actually stood on your plates, stood yes, on your mugs. Yeah. Well, my biggest coup was um, doing the, uh, did a, we did a lot of work at, with Sandhurst and uh, we were there for quite a big event. And the British Army Sergeant Major, who's the most senior soldier in the British Army, was there. And he's... He's very, very nice, but he's quite tall. He's well over six foot. I'd say he's probably six foot five. And I said to him, come on, you know, I want you to do my mug test. I want you to stand on this piece of china. He said, oh, I can't, I, I can't do that. I said, come on, you're a soldier. Man up, you've got to do it. And so all the other officers were saying, oh, go on, go on, get on it. So eventually he did it and he stood on two of my mugs and took his salute on the mug, on the mugs, I should say. It was very, very, very funny indeed. We were all laughing and he just couldn't believe that the China could take his weight. He's a strong man. He's a big, strong man. It is. It's, it's absolutely amazing when you see, you just think, oh no, it's, you know, it's going to go, it's going to go. And then it doesn't. And you just, yes. It's because no, it's got yeah. bone. It's, um... Uh, it's got bone ash in it. So 40, 49% of English bone china has, um, uh, has, has, a, has uh, is made up with this bone ash, which gives it a very, very, very strong um, finish. So you should be able to stand on it and see through it. 
Yeah. You should be able to hold it up to the light and see your hand through it. That's how they tested in Stoke. That's the quality test. Yes, that's the quality test. And actually, Andy, who runs my workshop, said, good bone china, you should be able to hold a newspaper up behind it. A good mug. And, um, and you should be able to hold a, a newspaper up behind it and see that it's newspaper. Then you know. Then you know. When the light comes through and you see that it's newspaper, you know that it's good china. So there's nothing really that you don't know about China. You're so passionate about the subject. Well, I think there probably is quite a lot that I'm not a Christie's or Sotheby's expert, but I, I am, I, yeah, I do love it. And I am interested, very interested in it and very keen to keep it going and preserve it and, you know, ask people to consider if they want to give a present for, that will last a lifetime, please consider giving a piece of English bone china. So where does this passion come from? Because it's not what you did initially when you were trained. No, I trained as a graphic designer, but I, you know, I've always been interested in bone china. And when I was a little girl, I had my own teacup and sauce. <laughs> and I'd always come home from school and insist on having tea in my, my teacup and saucer. And uh, so I've always, always had an interest in it. I don't know... I don't know where it comes from really I, I'm just one of those people I think it, I have quite an inquisitive busy brain and uh, I think I just I've and I'm very always been passionate about history and it's of course it's a heritage product and I love yeah I love the fact that it's still made in almost exactly the same way as it would have been made in the time of Josiah Spode you know in the 1790s and Josiah Spode was the man, of course, who unlocked the key for making English bone china because he refined the recipe. He realised that it was the bone ash in it that made it strong. So one of the things when we first started working together five, six years ago, whatever it was. At least six. At least six. <laughs> I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to kind of like keep my age down. I'm, you know, if I, if yeah, I might even be longer than six, if, I yeah, if I could knock off a few years, just forget a few years. Yeah. Um, okay. So it was really clear from day one, just how passionate you were. What was really amazing. What I was, what I've always been in awe of is the fact that you're, you've been able to bring so many of your passions into your business. Yes, that is true, that I am able to bring my passions into my business. So my love of nature and wildflowers and things and bees and butterflies and birds. Yeah, I... So... And history. <laughs> and hi well, yeah, I mean, the history thing, obviously you've got um, a product called A Mug Full of History that you've yeah. um, done for, for lots and lots of organisations now, from from private schools to um, the Doctor Who mug that you did for the 50th anniversary of that. Um, and the, the designs that you use on that, the, what, tell me about the font that you use, because that's another kind of... Oh, well, that, well, it's made up, of course. I draw it all, every letter. And at one time I drew it all out on paper and scanned it in and then that was the design. But now actually I draw using my, um, I've got what's called a Wacom pad, but I've just updated it. Um, it's called a Cintiq, but it's an electronic 
tablet, a drawing tablet, so I can draw on my tablet and it's coming up on the screen. It's absolutely brilliant. So now I can do my lettering um, on straight from the tablet, which is really good. So it saves a lot of time. So is it actually your own font or? Yes, it's me. It's you know, it's completely made up. Oh wow! So I thought it was modelled, or I thought it was an existing font. Uh, no. So I started originally because I very. It's another thing I'm very interested in is typography. And when I was at art school, I had an absolute obsession with a typeface called Bodoni. It's still my favourite typeface, actually. And so I started to do the letters with, inspired by Bodoni, but they're all different. So it is really, it's my font. Fantastic. It is, you know, my funky font. Because it is, it's so interesting and it, it all, it's just so effective. If you, uh, anyone listening to this, jump on to susanrosechina.co.uk. There's, there's just some amazing stuff there. Um, the other thing you'll find is, um, so... Susan, you're a big fan of um, sort of the Scott Polar Institute and Antarctica. Yes, I'm part. I'm I'm uh, I'm the vice chair of the Friends of the um, Scott Polar Research Institute, and in fact, my mug full of history all started with them because I designed a mug for Shackleton because I'm so <laughs> I'm not obsessed about Shackleton, but I'm very, very interested in Shackleton and what made him such a good leader. And he was my very first mug I designed. That, that mug was the very first mug full of history I designed. And we took it to the Scott Polar. And um, they, I went in for a little meeting to see if they would have the mug and came out three hours later, having had a discussion about Scott or, um, or Shackleton. And it was very, very interesting. And then I don't know how it happened, but I got on there. They asked me, invited me onto their committee. And then one thing led to another. And yeah, I'm very interested in the polar regions. And if you've never visited the Scott Polar, go. It's fantastic. <laughs> so I remember you going a few years ago and it was just, you were so excited. So excited. When I went up to the Arctic yeah. with them. Yes. Yeah, no, it was really wonderful. We saw polar bears in the wild and, yeah, no, it was absolutely amazing. And we, and the other thing was that we spent time litter picking on the beach in the, one of the remotest places in the world and we were litter pit, picking because bits of plastic had got that far. I didn't that So, way. no, so that's really interesting, which is why I'm sort of another reason why I think that Bone China has so much to, so much, um, it is such a good environmentally sound gift to give someone because it's not, um, you know, it, it, it's sustainable, it lasts. Okay, so let's talk more about sort of being the business owner and being the leader yeah. of your team, that kind of thing, because Susan Rose China started as, in fact, you know, I don't really know exactly how you started. I remember you telling me stories about 
sort of loading up the back of the car with with things to take to sort of local sort of shows and that kind of thing and and obviously now you're 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 much bigger in terms of, of what you're doing and what the operation is it started as a hobby business but as i said I didn't train as a ceramicist i trained as a graphic designer and then what happened was um I was doing some work when I left art college with an interior designer who was working with uh, a company called Sloan Square Tiles, who were the hand paint. They were the hand painted company that the shop that dealt with Marlborough tiles. They were the sort of showcase for Marlborough tiles, and they were looking for extra hand painters. And they said to me, "Oh, you paint rather, you know, I, you know." They liked what I was doing. And I said, oh, thank you. And they said, um, do you think you could paint on tiles? And I, of course, I told them a fib. I said, yes, of course I can. But I didn't know how to. So I, I and so I uh, sent it, set myself a mission to teach myself how to paint on ceramics. And this I did with a lot of help and twists and turns. And I won't go into it now because otherwise you'll be here for an hour and a half. But it ended up with me phoning a woman who uh, had an art exhibition with her and asking her to help me and she was ceramicist and she nearly fell off her chair laughing she said it was so ridiculous you know I've been painting ceramics all my life and you've been a graphic you're a graphic designer now you want to learn to paint on china in a matter of weeks and I had to get my father to lend me a kit money for a kiln uh, he agreed that every time I had an order, I'd give him 10% back to pay for the kiln. And it turned out to be a very good, uh, very good deal for for me and a very poor one for him because he got one payment, I think. And I got the kiln. Anyway, <laughs> years later, so I, I, I taught myself, I started painting on tiles. It went from strength to strength. And then in 2000, the tile shop sold up. And I thought, uh, do you know what? I really do want to find out more about ceramics because that's what I've always been interested in. But in China, so I went to Stoke and tried to find out more about it and swap from painting on uh, tiles, ceramic, ceramic tiles to bone china, same process. And I, I yeah, it, that was, it was quite hard getting into Stoke because it's a, bit of a closed shop and I really don't want to know some posh girl from the south who wants to learn how you know about China because they you know they don't well you know what do I know I know nothing but I did get my foot in the door with them and through hard work and I met China makers and mold makers and I taught myself that uh, skill and um, I I started painting on ceramics. I went to Stoke. I, I, I started painting on bone china. I went to Stoke, bought bone china up, started going to Christmas fairs and selling it. And it just grew and grew and grew. And I became busier and busier. And then I couldn't keep up with the orders. I was painting in the night. I was getting my friends to help me. It's just, you know, kind of slightly ridiculous. Painting Mrs. Miggins's uh, Dachshund on a soap dish you know, at three in the morning to get it to Gloucestershire. Um, and, I mean, obviously, Mrs. Miggins doesn't exist, but it just trying to, you know, tell you, it just sort of got a bit out of control. And then my husband just said to me, well, how do they do it in Stoke? 
you know, the, why aren't you learning how they are reproducing stuff in Stoke? So we then learnt that actually what they do in Stoke is they, have, of course they have decorators and designers, but they're printing their designs and that, that design, that print is then applied to a piece of china and fired on, which is how you can reproduce it hundreds of times. And they've been doing it that way in Stoke for nearly 200 years. Um, so yes, I then learnt, we learnt how to print my husband bought a printer, then he bought two printers. We were able to do our own printing. And that changed the business. That was the step. So it was still a hobby business, but it was a step in the right direction. And most of my work, 80% was retail, 20% corporate. It's now 80% corporate, 20% retail. And that has just come as it's grown. I was going to say it's probably about, I don't know, two, three years ago where there was a definite, almost like a, a switch where this wasn't a hot, this definitely wasn't a hobby business. It, it was, a, yeah. it was all about, it was about scaling what you could do. Yes. And were there any sort of tough lessons at that point that you kind of had to go through? Well, I think with any business, there are hugely tough uh, very, very tough questions. Every, I don't believe it. I don't believe it when people in business say they, oh, they, it's plain sailing and they've just been in the right place at the right time. I don't believe that. I think, you know, uh, businesses that survive have survived through extreme hard work. We all make mistakes and it's how you learn from those mistakes. I try to think if I have a, a mistake or something doesn't go quite right, it's not a disaster. I have to turn it into an opportunity. I have to learn from that. What could I have done better? What could I have done to make that work? I don't want it to happen again, but I've got to learn from it. And actually, that's the positive thing. Everyone makes mistakes. It's how you deal with it, how you learn from it, and how you change it into an opportunity. That's really my belief. <laughs> So I'm not sure it might not be everyone else's belief, but I just think it's a very important thing. Um, and this feeling, well, if someone else can do it, so can you. You just have to learn how to do it. Um, you know, uh, and of course, some things you don't want to learn. So you, you know, should you, someone who does something better, that, that, you know, would do something better than you would. For example, I learned using Green Umbrella because they, you did it rather better than me. <laughs> and you were teaching me. <laughs> you know, it would have been a bit mad if I had turned that opportunity down. And, you know, I think that happens all the time, doesn't it? And I can't, I'm not very good because I'm dyslexic. I'm not very good with figures. I see them, I, I get them a bit muddled up. So... You know, it's really important that I have someone who will do my accounts for me because that would be slightly mad having someone like me who might muddle things up or not see them in the same way as other people. Yeah, it, it's so important to have the right people around you. Um, and obviously, you know, your, your husband's very supportive in the business and I know that more recently he's been able to, to take more of a role Yes. But you've, you've also had the, um, how would I describe her? The long-suffering Viv. 
Oh, yes, now. That is amazing. So we were so lucky because one of the things I knew I needed, when we got very busy, I knew that we absolutely had to be organised and we needed someone. I can't do everything. So I needed someone to help organise things, organise the office, help me, be my right hand. And uh, yes, but poor Viv, poor Viv got roped in. Um, <laughs> she, yes, she had no idea what she's letting herself in for. Originally she came for 16 hours and basically she works around the clock, I think, for the business and she's very much right in the centre of it and incredibly, incredibly important um, linchpin, really. So, I, you know, she says she's going to retire next year, but <laughs> fingers crossed. I don't think we're going to give her permission, are we? No, no, I think we're going to keep her. <laughs> so one of the things that have happened more recently in your business is your growth in terms of moving the operation to Stoke, because it used to be based yes. in, um, yes. in, in your studio here in Northamptonshire. Yes. Um, and so you moved the operation to Stoke, and then you actually sort of then bought that business that you were using in Stoke as well. Yeah, so really what happened was we were doing the production here. We were, um, you know, printing. I, I'd go to Stoke, get the china, bring it back here. I had two lovely girls, uh, friends, um, who helped me. I taught one of them to decorate, and one wrapped up all the china, and Viv, you know, ran us all like a <laughs> yeah, sergeant, ma sergeant major. Um, and it was all very successful. But of course, the business was growing. And we were doing bigger and bigger corporate orders. And we had the digital printers here. But the corporate orders, we'd started to print in a different way. We started to use silk screens. Because when you do large orders, uh, printing with a silk screen is actually more economical it's not of course um economical to set up a screen for one print but if you're doing a hundred or two hundred or a thousand it's much more economical to use a silk screen than a digital print so i met this uh, printmaker in stoke called andy who's been in the china business for years and years and years he grew up his father was a director of dalton's He's a very talented artist. He had his own print business, his own china factory. And we started working together. My first co big corporate order we did together. And we just got on really, really well. And he started to do all our, all our work in Stoke. Then he started to run the, um, all the corporate side. I then started to keep all my china at the workshop. And then in 2017, we took the decision to shut the production side here and Andy was going to do it, um, all in Stoke, in the workshop. And then we bought, we, it was very amicable, we worked it out together and I bought Andy out and the workshop in Stoke. And so that was... Actually, it's, I think it's actually 18 months ago now. It's going up for two years. And so it was absolutely the very, very, uh, it was a very big step to take, but it, it changed the business. 
and help both of us. So it was very, very good move indeed. I think it's um, what people don't warn you about is the tough decisions you have to make. And, uh, yes, it's very tough, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and those, you know, deciding to to close the operation in Northampton here would have been really, really tricky. But then to, to fast forward to the point where you were thinking of, um, you know, buying Andy's business, there's always that should I, shouldn't I, there's always that kind of, you know, you, you mm. end up, if you're not careful, you end up in paralysis because yes. you've, you know, it's really hard to make that decision. And even if you've got the support around you, I think it's quite tricky yes. to know what to do. So at that time, did you have people you could lean on to, to sort of help you so with that? I had... It was really interesting, actually, because what happened to me, I don't know, Some I, I've had help from pe amazing people. That, and because I've met these amazing people on my journey, I always think that it's part of my psyche that I feel that I must always give back to. So first of all, I met this amazing woman in my life who asked me to, the, to come and exhibit at her Christmas fair, which is probably the biggest... Christmas fair in the country, Mary Howard. That was a step up for my business. And then in, I don't know, was it 2016, uh, someone saw me tweeting, probably with your help, Christina, about my business. And that one, the person that saw me was the chairman of the IOD for Northampton. And she started to watch me and she became interested in me. She put me forward for an award. And I, I don't know how I did it, but I got through to the <laughs> sort of uh, regional finals um, and I was a runner-up for a lead IOD leadership award. But as part of that, I met the chairman of the uh, East Midlands IOD interviewed me and he was the most amazing man, Ron Lynch. And I, after he'd interviewed me and after the awards lunch, I went up to him and I said, do you think you could help me grow my, help me with my business? And he said, yes, he could. And he was absolutely wonderful. He's like a mentor. He came to see us. He came to Stoke with me. He pointed out pitfalls. He said, have you done this? Have you done that? He was, uh, you know, one of those people who changed people's lives. And it was absolutely wonderful. And He's just retired from the IOD, but the Institute of Directors. But I gave a talk <laughs> before Christmas um, at my at a breakfast club, business breakfast club I belong to, which is run by our MP. And someone else heard me in that and has been actually giving me quite a bit of advice ever since that uh, breakfast meeting. So I feel that I've been very, very lucky that, well, I don't, I, I I'm not sure I believe in luck, but my hard work has brought me and my passion has brought me into contact with people who think you've got a bit of a business. I think we can help you. Do you know, that's really interesting because that's one of the reasons why I, I chose to, to begin this podcast. Um, because you know you've you've known me whilst I was secretly going through the the negotiation 
yes. and even before that, the, the you know going yeah. through the, the decisions, if you like, I'm mm. um, sort of preparing for this. I was thinking you were probably one of yeah one of the first people that I sort of coached independently in terms of the social media marketing. So if I wind back to when we first worked together, the way that I saw myself was not as a business leader, certainly not as a business owner. In fact, in comparison, I was kind of nobody, you know, and, and it's that it's, you know, you're never nobody, Christina. <laughs> you know, you kind of actually at that point, I was yeah. just, you know, I, I was employee. I loved my job. I, I loved, I loved everything about the business, but I was, my self-confidence was at quite a different level to where it mm -hmm. is now. Um, and in the same way you've said, you know, you've met people along the way. It's kind of, I've met people that I've been in awe of. I've met people that I've you know, found to be really, really inspiring. I've met people that have given me massive, massive encouragement. Um, and you kind of think that, you know, you're right. It's not luck. It's you, you, you know, you earn it by making, by putting yourself out of your comfort zone and being in the right places yeah. at the right time and not being, um, you know, not being intimidated. I remember walking into rooms where it was kind of, you know, it was everyone else in the meeting would have been middle-aged, white, male, suited and booted. And I was this little bumpkin girl, basically, you know, and just kind of rocking up going, hi! <laughs> I think that's really interesting, actually, what you're, you're saying. So I think that's all very true. And, but I think you've also touched on something else that's quite interesting, that I am still often in a minority as a woman. So at my breakfast club, the business breakfast club, I was only one other woman that goes, and I made her go. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, also, I have a place on the council for the Chamber of Commerce on, at Stoke. I'm the only outsider that has a place on the council for the Chamber of Commerce. And I did count, I'm always counting, how many women are in this room? I know the chief executive of the Stoke Chamber of Commerce is a very charismatic woman, but there's still far more men than women. It's really, really interesting because you don't you don't want it to become a um, you know you, you don't want these things to be about gender, but it is really, really noticeable. I was talking to someone who runs a lot of events and they're organizing speaker, speaking panels and that kind of stuff. And we were talking about the, the, the gender balance. Mm. And she, she was saying, actually, part of the problem is women just don't come forward. If she puts a call out for people to speak at an event, 80% mm. of the people that volunteer themselves are male. So as much as you're trying to get the, the gender balance right or, um, you know, any, you know, any, any other sort of, you know, d differences, you know, and all that sort of stuff, it's actually, it's about who goes, who takes that step, who volunteers. Um, and I think it is, I, th I, I wish, I, I'm not a feminist, you know, I, I'm not a staunch feminist and, I, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I do think that, more women need to take that step forward when there is an opportunity. I think we naturally kind of stand back and wait for, for 
Yes, I do. I think I'm. I'm hoping that this next generation it'll be, it'll be, you know, different, because I think, you know, if ever I have, I, I, so, sometimes I go and I give, you know, have have given talks in schools before, and I, you know, I say the opportunities that are there for you were never there for my generation. Obviously, I'm older than you, Christina. We won't go into that, but you know, I. I think that it ha you know, it, it hasn't, we haven't had the same opportunities. We've had to make them. And I say to those uh, pupils, you know, our, our, you know, we've laid the stepping stones for you to step on and jump off. And you can do anything, anything you want to. You have to believe you want to do it. And you, and you have to have passion. Because if you're passionate about it, you'll swim to the top of the pool. You know, I think you are a, um, that, that's a really good point to, to almost sort of bring this conversation to a close as well, because like I say, you, your, your passion is, it comes out of every pore of your body. People that spend time with you, they absolutely feel the passion. And I think if you look at your business, because you've had that passion, nothing has stood in your way. Yes, and I think also, I think there's something like me, and I'm, I wonder if you also had the same, that actually there's nothing like being put down to make you think, I'll bloody well show you. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I do think that has some of it, you know. And I think because I was, at, you know, when I was at school, I was dyslexic. It wasn't recognised as being dyslexic, so I spent my entire time at school being told I was very stupid and not going to do very much and there's nothing quite like that to make you think why oh, you just watch this space because I am going to do something <laughs> and you have and you have so Susan we'll bring it to a close um thank you so much I hope I haven't talked too much oh no you've been wonderful as always <laughs> um if anyone listening was interested in seeing your work and giving you a little follow and all that kind of stuff where do you want them to to come and find you oh well they can follow us on social media because Christine has taught me so well um <laughs> you can send us a message or you know look at our website send us a message um you know I, I i think if you want to see what i'm doing all the time follow us on instagram or facebook probably um if you're more interested in the business side look at twitter <laughs> but uh or, you know please look at our website and um you know i'm always happy to answer any questions fantastic <laughs> try and help fantastic thanks so much for joining me susan Oh, Christina, thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you so much. And you take care. We'll do, we'll do. Okay, see you soon.